So Freedom Sunday. So as a church, we're joining with other churches in our denomination and even other denominations around the world to combat human suffering. We've already talked a little bit about uh, human trafficking, but what I want to highlight is and define human trafficking so that we can see what it is, and then we'll see what God has to say about it, and then we'll land on what we should do about it as a people. So what is human trafficking? Human trafficking is the recruitment or movement of a person by force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of profiting for the, from the exploitation of that person. So individuals are bought and sold as if they were products. And then they're forced into commercialized sexual exploitation, such as pornography or prostitution, or into forced labor. And human trafficking isn't just something that happens in other places. It's not just something that happens in other countries. It happens in our city, in our province, in our country. And actually, uh, when I've looked at stats of this before, one of the most prominent times in North America for there to be human trafficking is major events such as the Super Bowl. So sporting events, times when people come together are times when people are bought and sold and trafficked. And it happens to people across all classes of people. It happens to the rich, it happens to the poor, it happens to male, female, child, adults. But it hits the poor the hardest. It hits those who have no one to stand up for them the worst. And it's victims across racial, ethnic, geographic, economic, and educational backgrounds. It affects everyone that we could think of. And human trafficking is a system that is based on greed on control and on power. And in whatever shape or form, every single person has a dream of a better future. Everyone, when they're a child, doesn't hope for small things. They hope for big things. And human trafficking at, it core, at its core takes advantage of that dream and uses it to capture somebody, to uh, exploit them. So everyone has a dream to be loved, to be seen, to be noticed and to belong and to find a better future for themselves and for their children and their families. And traffickers exploit those dreams. They de exploit those desires among those who are most vulnerable and they make promises that are deceptive. And this happens in many, many different ways, whether it's uh, a young girl moving to a city that she wants to be an actress and then the only acting part she gets involves a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until it becomes full-fledged pornography. But human trafficking itself is hard to acknowledge and to see. It's something that people don't talk about. It's something that's under the surface. And yet, as a church, Jesus calls us to address some of the things that are the hardest to talk about, that are the most uncomfortable, that are things that would be easier just to brush under the rug. But Jesus addressed these issues himself right front, face to face. And human trafficking, at its core, dehumanizes people. Every single person is made in the image of God. And in order to trap somebody in human trafficking, to treat them as a slave, you have to dehumanize them. You have to take that image of God away, that thing that makes them valuable as a person and has an individual identity, and treat them like a product, something that you can use and trade and sell. And so God cares so much about human trafficking that he spoke about it, that he came in person 
in the very form of man to show us that human beings are valuable, they are worthy, and they are, deserve to be dignified and have dignity. And so our hope is to see that these people that are trafficked, that are in these situations, are restored. And also to prevent others from falling into this trap. Because God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us that other people try to steal, kill, and destroy. So human trafficking is too big to stop on our own. If I stood up here and said all of the stats, it would just overwhelm us for how often it happens and how much it happens each and every day. But we need to come together with other churches, with other organizations, businesses, community leaders to fight human trafficking. And above all, we need to turn to God. We need to pray out to God and work with him to stop human trafficking. So human trafficking is a real concern in the world these days, but it's not a new thing. Human trafficking uh, and sin, that is the result, or human trafficking is the result of sin, is something that has started since Adam and Eve in the garden chose to go their own way. They chose to sin instead of following God. And that brought slavery to sin. Romans uh, 6.20 says you were slaves to sin before you came to know Jesus. So every single human being that has ever walked the earth since Adam and Eve were born into slavery. Were born into slavery to sin. And so Jesus, though, comes on the scene and he has an amazing, beautiful message for all one of us. So in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, we find him. He just returned from 40 days in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness experiencing temptation beyond our imaginations, praying and fasting and being tempted. And then he comes into the scene in Luke 14 to 21, and he says this. I'm reading out of the NIV. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if this was the 21st century and Jesus had a microphone, this would have been a mic drop moment. He would have went, this is fulfilled now. Boom. Now, prophecy wasn't something that was new to the people of Israel. They had prophets that they had recorded and they had heard of, and they had prophecy that was written down, such as the prophet Isaiah. But they had never heard someone say that I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. This was a new thing for them. So what's going on here? In order sometimes to understand the scripture, we need to understand the context and the story and the history, what's going on, because it's different than our time. So Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. 
which is actually similar, very similar to how we do church. It was for the Israelite people, for the Hebrews, for the Jewish people, how they would have done church. They gathered on the Sabbath day, and then they would follow a pattern of going through Scripture. So usually they would have, uh, they would have a reading out of the Torah, out of the law, and uh, then they would have something out of the prophets. And these would be read publicly. People would take turns reading them. They would be in the form of scrolls. And uh, then they would be discussed upon. So they would stand for the reading of the word. And then when it came time to, uh, to preach, anyone who was a uh, qualified male, so he had to be of a certain age and had to have gone uh, through their regular schooling that they would have, could stand up and teach. So rather than having one specific person that was preaching, it could have been almost anyone that was in the synagogue. And uh, in, at this time, Jesus was the one who stood up to preach, but actually he does it the backwards. He sits down to preach. And uh, even from a young age, Jesus, uh, as a young boy, was in the temple of Jerusalem, and the, the wiser, older men that were in the temple, this was the, the best place to learn and to teach about God, they were astounded by his wisdom and his teaching and said, where did this young kid get this? You know, if you put it in regular, where did this one whippersnapper get this knowledge from? He's only 10 years old and he's teaching us everything. You know, uh, I, love, I love kids, as you can probably tell, and I go on and on about it, but kids have so much potential to teach us lessons. Just listen to that little lesson from Winter this morning of the heritage of faith that we can have. What a beautiful thing. And Jesus, when he was a young age, surprised people with his wisdom. And so Jesus, uh, he quotes from Isaiah. And you can tell that the way he says he actually uh, turns in the scroll, he finds the place. It didn't seem like it was the assigned reading of the day. And the prophet Isaiah was, uh, was actually a messenger of hope for Israel. He spoke to Israel when they were in a very hard time. Uh, and he did have some hard things to say to Israel. He did bring some correction, as prophets usually did at the time. But he foretold about the hope that was coming. Isaiah talked about the Messiah that was coming. The Holy One of, of Israel who would come to restore the brokenhearted. He would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who would overthrow the powers that would keep Israel down. He was the one that would come to restore everything that had been taken from them. And just last, last week, we were actually in Isaiah, and we looked about how God says when the, the people of Israel were in captivity, he says, see, I am doing a new thing. You're waiting, you're waiting for another exodus, just like what happens when they left uh, Egypt. But see, I'm doing a new thing. And the beautiful new thing that God was doing was Jesus. He came in a way that they never expected. And right from the beginning of his ministry, he says, See, I am fulfilling the prophet Isaiah's message of hope. So let's take, break down what he's saying he is fulfilling. First of all, Jesus announces his mission as the Messiah. Jesus, right from the beginning, is saying, I am the one who this scripture is about. I am the one who God has called to fulfill the hope that you have. So just coming back from his 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted, only after that time does he begin his public ministry. And he begins it right away by going to synagogues, by going to his people and speaking in their forums that they had. He would preach and teach, and people were astounded by his wisdom. It said that everyone 
praised him for his teaching. But Jesus takes it even further. He doesn't just teach them. He actually tells them who he is. That he is the Messiah. And he's clear about that. He's the promised one who would redeem Israel as the suffering servant. Isaiah has another passage that beautifully goes through uh, the... Jesus would be the, the lamb that would be slain, that would not make a sound. He wouldn't complain at all as he is dying for other people. And so he's the embodiment of God's salvation. But the, the very opening when it says, even when he says in 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And earlier he says uh, uh, Luke says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Bible's making it very clear here that the power that Jesus was using to proclaim this wasn't his own, it was the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about that, and then the thing that we need to notice about that, is that is the same Holy Spirit that we have through the work of Christ. God has given us the power of the Spirit. So Jesus saying that he is coming to be the Messiah wasn't just for the few years that he was physically on earth. That mission is continued by us, who would say we follow Jesus. That mission goes on. Just as Jesus says he's come to be the Messiah, he's called us to do his work on the earth. So his power came through the Spirit, so does our power. We are called to be on the earth following after Jesus. And he also, uh, he also highlights who he is. So him being the Messiah, he is the son of God. His power comes through relationship. He has a relationship with God the Father. He has a relationship that, based on that, is who he is and who he has been called to be. So Jesus offers that same relationship to each one of us. We are called to be sons and daughters of the king. Did you know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a prince and a princess? So when you were a little kid, did you dream of being a knight in a castle like I did or being a princess with a frilly dress? And even princesses because we wear armor. We're in the 21st century here. But to whichever one, you could be a female knight too, that's fine. But God has called us to be sons and daughters. We get to share that inheritance. But that doesn't just come with a crown. It comes with a job description which is to seek and save the lost. So Jesus goes on uh, from here. He says that his being the Messiah means that he has come to bring good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. So Luke already identified Jesus was in the power of the Spirit, but that power has allowed him to actually help somebody. And so him being obediently means that he can do incredible things to help those who need help. The, uh, I want to do a little side note here about the anointing because that's a, the word that we don't always use in common speech. Well, we don't at all anymore unless you're in a church. But anointing was a process of uh, ceremony of actually pouring oil on someone. And it's ceremonial oil, and it was meant to represent a covering of the Spirit of God on somebody. And in the, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, David, when he was said he would be king was anointed with oil. And this is to show that he's covered by the power of God. That God is empowering him, that he's calling him. And this was also done for priests. 
And it was also done for those who were being healed. So it was done for those who needed God's power to work in their lives. And so the anointing that Jesus has here is the Spirit of God. And that same anointing is given to us who would follow after him. And this anointing brings him the power to proclaim and communicate good news to the poor. So why the poor? Why would God highlight the poor? And uh, theologians have, have wrestled over this, okay? Uh, and it's probably mostly theologians in North America because we are rich uh, based on the world. But why the poor? Why is Jesus saying he came to bring good news to the poor? Why not good news to everybody? And does he mean poor as in material wealth or poor in spirit? Which does he mean? Well, you know, both. <laughs> One of those both and things. But Jesus said that, uh, or they say that the material, well, let me back up. Here we are. That was pretty good, Hank. All right. Anyways, the materially poor are often the ones who know they have needs. They're actually people sometimes of the greatest faith because they wake up every day and realize that their next meal, where they're going to stay that night, is all dependent on something greater than them. They don't have a roof over their head. They don't have a bank account. They don't have security. So every day they have to rely on someone else's charity, whether it's another person or whether it's God's. Now, I'm not advocating necessarily that everyone go sell their house and live on the street. But there's a truth behind it that often those who are materially poor are the ones who have the greatest response to God because they're already aware of their need for God. They're already aware of a need for someone greater than them. And Jesus actually warns repeatedly throughout the, the Gospels of the dangers of money. And it's even just as I said, it's money can become security. Instead of trusting in God, you trust in the bank account. Instead of trusting in God, we trust in our investments. Instead of trusting in God, we trust in our insurance. And now I'm not advocating against any of those things. I think those are responsible and those are fine things to have. But our trust ultimately has to come from God. So no matter how much we have in the bank account, if it all went away tomorrow, it shouldn't change our relationship with God. Because it all comes from him anyway, and it's all his to begin with. So what Jesus is saying is that he has come to bring good news to the poor. And so the poor in spirit are those who realize that they're downtrodden, that they need help. And they have, uh, the, the materially poor actually are often become victims of crime and of injustices because they have no one to speak for them. They don't have any help. They get downtrodden, they get beaten down. And in Jesus' time, uh, often they were powerless to have any help. They didn't have the same kind of structures for social security and things that we do now. They didn't have homeless shelters. They didn't have these kind of things. So these people were powerless to change their position. They were powerless to get help. And so they were often victims of exploitation and oppression. And Jesus came to bring good news to those who are materially poor and to those who are spiritual beggars. And I would argue all of us are in one of, or both of those categories. All of us cannot get out of the state we are in. Just as Romans said, 620, before Jesus, you are a slave to sin. 
So wherever you are in your standing with Jesus right now this morning, you are either in bondage to slavery, to sin, and wealth or debt or anything, or you have been freed by him. That's it. There's no other way to get out of that debt, out of that brokenness, other than Jesus. Jesus is the only way. So without God's forgiveness, all of us are incapable of coming out of that slavery. None of us here this morning, if you would say you are free, you have not worked your way out of that slavery to sin. Jesus has worked his way out for you. Jesus has provided the way. It is only through the redeeming work of Jesus as the Messiah that anyone can be saved or helped. So you have heard it said that we should help those who help themselves. But if that was Jesus' motto, none of us would have ever been saved. So instead of helping those who would help themselves, Jesus shows us that we need to help those who cannot help themselves, who cannot stand up for themselves. So we who have been helped by Jesus need to help others. It's plain and simple. We cannot sit and assume that if people want help, they'd ask for it. We need to go and offer help to everyone. We, we can't assume that just because our doors are open on a Sunday, that people know that we're here for them. We need to actually go out and tell them the truth about Jesus and then welcome them in. It's not a passive activity. We need to actually go into the world and show them that Jesus loves them and the love that Jesus offers them. So the good news that Jesus is talking about, the good news that he provides for the poor is active and living. And Jesus, so Jesus presents a spiritual and social transformation. Jesus wants to transform individual lives and whole communities. That is what Jesus offers. He wants to transform your life. He wants to transform my life. He wants to transform the whole Okanagan. He wants to transform even Alberta and Saskatchewan. Even the rest of Canada. Throughout the world, Jesus wants to transform us. I'm from Alberta, so you can do whatever you want later, but... <laughs> Yeah, there you go. The reference to the poor that Jesus is talking about isn't exclusive. It's not just about the materially poor. All of us are poor without Jesus. So the good news is an announcement and an invitation to everyone to find safety, security, and help from Jesus alone. That's what he's offering. And last week uh, at our fall kickoff service, uh, I must say I was very proud of many of you that I saw we had an open-air service in the park. For those of you who weren't there, next year is your opportunity. But it was awesome because before our service, setting up with the worship team, practicing and everything, there were people that were less fortunate that were walking by. And they were asking, what's going on here? What is this? And I saw uh, many of you welcoming these people and telling them, yeah, come on out. It starts at 10, and then we have food after. And then inviting people and welcoming them in, the part of our community and fellowship that we had no idea who they were and feeding them and loving them and caring for them. And they weren't just off on their own. I saw many of you talking to them and loving them and showing them care and concern. That is what it is about. But we need to go out and do that every day. We need to go out and welcome people into our lives and tell them that Jesus loves them and care for them. And so I was so proud to see all of you, and I'd love to do that again. And it's not just for the beautiful views that we had, because that was great preaching out at looking at the lake, but it was just a great time. So Jesus is talking about individual transformation, which is a call 
for all of us to be transformed by his love and then to produce that transformation in others' lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so a major ethical call for the church is that Christians are to meet one another's needs and others' needs as well. And victims of human trafficking fall into both categories. Sometimes they're materially poor and they're definitely spiritually poor. They're exploited and oppressed because they're vulnerable and powerless. Someone else controls their lives. And so they need healing and wholeness that can only come through a restored relationship with Jesus. But they need to be freed from the bonds that they are in. And so Jesus came to bring uh, good news. And our role is to help that continue. So Jesus is the Messiah. He brings good news to the poor. And finally, Jesus brings release and freedom. Jesus breaks bonds. God sent, uh, God the Father sent Jesus not only to just say he's the Messiah and he's here, there to help them, but to actually set people free from what traps them. So he didn't just come to talk about it and say how necessary social justice is. He actually came to enable social justice to happen. He came to enable people to actually be freed. Not just one time, but for all time. Jesus didn't come just to set people free one time, but forever. You know, in the Old Testament, when God was setting up the, the nation of Israel, he created some very cool laws. And one of these laws that he brought was actually called the, the year of Jubilee. And the way it worked is that every seven years, anyone who, was, uh, who had been in financial trouble could have sold their land to somebody else and then worked for them. Or if they didn't have land, they could become a bondservant to them and then work off their debt. But at every seven years, the whole nation was supposed to cancel anyone's debts and return the land that they have and return them back uh, from slavery, back into full standing citizen. And regardless, wherever they were in this jubilee cycle, you were supposed to sell the land for full value and return it for no cost at the end. And so how amazing would that be if your mortgage was canceled every seven years? <laughs> that is amazing. And I, I wish that the, the nation of Israel had followed this, but there's no, uh, there's no uh, record of it ever actually following this cycle. Uh, but Jesus says that he came to proclaim the year of Jubilee. He, in uh, the NIV, it calls it the year of the Lord's favor. And he's saying that he's not just coming to do it once, or even just once every seven years. Jesus came to do it once and for all, for all time. Jesus means to do this for every person, forever. To set them free from their debts. And of course, the primary debt that everyone has is the debt of sin. You cannot pay that back. You cannot earn that back. It's an infinite debt that Jesus, when you ask for forgiveness, cancels and says it is done. It is finished. And so in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, uh, often in the prophets, God is calling out his people of Israel because they're not following what he has commanded them to follow, which is to free people of their slavery, of their debts to sin. And so over and over and over again, God is calling them out for oppressing the poor, for actually causing people to go into slavery. And over and over again, he says that I won't listen to your prayers. I won't listen to your worship until you set the captives free. 
And so Jesus is coming to say no more. I don't want that anymore. Rather than the rich getting richer off the poor, he says that I want all to be rich in me. I want to have all to have what they need from me. He says, I don't want the widows to be taken advantage of. I don't want the little children to be taken advantage of. I want everyone to have what they need from me. So financial debt is only one form of slavery. And Jesus came to set people free for all time, forever, from all forms of slavery. That is what he has called to do. Jesus came to restore God's image in each one of us. Each one of us was marred by sin, or is marred by sin. But Jesus says he restores us back to what we are made to be. And we are called to spread that good news and to be that light for other people, to help them to have the image of God restored in their lives. To call them out and look at them in the eyes and say, you are worthy. God loves you. God wants to restore your life to what he means it to be. And we can be that message of hope to other people because we have the power of the Spirit of God working in us. So victims of human trafficking need forgiveness for their sins. They need to be forgiven for what they have done, just as we all do. But in order to live lives as God has called them to live, they need to be freed from their bonds that would oppress them. They need to be freed from their captors. They need to be freed from whatever is holding them in bondage and oppression. And the important thing for us to ask is, is there anything that we are doing as individuals and as a church that would keep people in oppression? Throughout the, the history of the world, there have been slaves because there has been a market for slaves. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to stand up here and try to, to name all of the different ways and all of the different companies, but there are many, many companies that take advantage of human slavery in one way or another, in human trafficking. We have to be careful of the products we buy, the companies we support. And the only way to, to know all of this is to do your own research and figure it out for yourselves. But there are times that uh, we just don't even think about the food that we're purchasing or the, uh, the clothes that we buy and wear. One, uh, one small example is chocolate. Uh, there's many forms of chocolate that are actually picked by child slaves, essentially, that uh, the children are utilized because they're cheap labor. And chocolate, there's not very much margin for, uh, there's not very much margin for, um, for profit. So they have to try and use as cheap of labor as they possibly can. And so uh, coffee, it's become a popular thing to have fair trade coffee. Uh, because uh, the way that coffee sellers usually work is the, the coffee farmers have to haul their coffee beans to the, uh, the buyers, not knowing what the price of the coffee is until they get there. And then the coffee is usually set really, really low, and then they're forced to decide, well, am I going to walk back with all of this coffee beans on my back or with my animals, or am I going to sell it for a, basically a lost cost? And so uh, organizations that do fair trade coffee is just one small way. But how do we respond to this? How do we respond? Jesus has called us to bring freedom to the captives, to continue his work. And so there's three main things that I think each one of us could do this week to help respond to what Jesus has called us to. The first and most important is to pray. Pray for the victims of human trafficking. And I would even say pray for the captors 
in human trafficking. Pray for their freedom. Pray for God to move and to raise up people that would have a heart of justice to help free the captives. Second of all is to learn more about how to help. Uh, one, uh, one website that you can go to get more information, I put up there, fastinternational.org. And actually, if you're on our mailing list this week, uh, we're going to send out some more um, information about this that you can do your own research and figure out ways that you can help and contribute. The third is to give. So give to support those working to end human suffering and traffic, human trafficking. So uh, an example was the, the offering that we took this morning for the Freedom Offering. But also uh, uh, on Nazarene Compassionate Ministries online, they have a way that you can give directly to Freedom Sunday. Or, uh, or if you um, feel called and compelled to give even more to this in the coming weeks, just write it on an envelope and it will go out. But uh, I would pray that whatever that you would uh, feel called to do, all of us are called to respond to what Jesus has said. And all of us are called in some ways. Human trafficking is a real issue, but it's not the only issue in the world. We are all stuck in bondage before Jesus. But the amazing hope that we have is that Jesus came to set us free. And my heart would be that every single one of us this morning would be able to have a conversation with somebody this week, telling them of the hope that can be found in Jesus. The hope that he came, that no matter what they're going through, no matter their hardships or their joys, Jesus has something even better for them ahead. Now, would you please uh, join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward and helps us respond in worship. Dear God, we pray for the victims of human trafficking, for those who have been dehumanized and held captive by the greed and violence of a broken world, for girls and boys, women and men who are bought and sold and abused by those who have forgotten the eternal value of a human soul. May they rediscover their worth in you. And may we affirm their worth as individuals who are made in your image. Lord, reveal the way our choices may play a part in keeping others captive by creating a demand for more slaves. And give us courage to make different choices. Give us the eyes to see injustice and exploitation. And give us the courage to speak out against evil. Use us to bring light into the darkened corners of this world that they may not remain dark forever. May your light expose the evil deed of the captors, and may your love create a change of heart within those who are perpetrators of human trafficking. Use us to loosen the chains of injustice and to let the oppressed go free. We pray for an end to the evil that is human trafficking, and we pray that the victims of trafficking may find restoration and healing in you. Amen.